There we go. I feel like I'm hearing myself now. But we've arrived in Colossians. Let's try that again, again. At a point that can seem maybe a little bit backwards and old-fashioned. And I know that there are many days when I would really rather not have this verse and the ones like it in the Bible. Are you curious yet? If you are, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Colossians 3, 18. And if you do not have a paper Bible, you just go onto our website, myevangel.church. There's a Bible tab there. And if you click on that, there are some links to download a Bible and a form that you can fill out, and we would be happy to give you a paper Bible. Colossians 3, 18. And it very plainly states this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And inwardly, all the women cringe and all husbands say, Amen. Well, it was a hot day. It was 38 degrees outside. And we were inside an old church with no air conditioning. And being very young and naive, we really didn't think through how hot a late July wedding could be. And so we ordered all black tuxedos for Lucas and the groomsmen. Literally all black, except for the tie. And it was hot. And so standing on that stage with sweat literally pouring off of us, we exchanged our vows, thinking maybe naively that we had this figured out because allow me to rewind for a bit. And we had made a conscious decision, not a smart decision, but a conscious one, when we got engaged that we were going to fight our entire engagement. We knew we are both very stubborn people. We knew we both very much liked to get our way, and we came from very, very different families. And so we made the conscious decision, again, not smart, but conscious, to duke it out over any and every hot-button topic that there possibly could be. I mean, we were talking about hypothetical kids. We were like at retirement sometimes. We were going to make sure that once we got to July 24th, 2004, that if there was anything we disagreed on, we could walk away before that day. If you are engaged or are going to be engaged one day in your life, don't do this. We did premarital counseling as we would recommend for everyone. And my, friend, or my parents' friend, Pastor Jeff Beck, did it for us. And he got up at our reception and said, so usually... I try to get couples to fight during these premarital counseling times to see how their conflict resolution skills are. I had the opposite problem. I had to try to get them to not fight through all of the sessions. And again, naively, when we got up on that very sweat-filled stage to exchange those covenant vows, I think we kind of thought we had this figured out. I mean, what was there to submit to? We had thought about it all, and we agreed on everything. 
And standing there and exchanging those few lines to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. At 19, I didn't quite understand what I was getting myself into. And probably in those months leading up to July 24th, and even on that day, not probably, I can say for sure, I didn't understand God's heart for marriage. And standing here 15 years in, and I know many of you have been married for far longer than that, I'm going to say 15 years in, I still don't. I don't fully grasp what that is is what that design was. But here are some things that I do know. I do know that marriage is the greatest illustration to the world of how God loves us and the relationship that he desires with us. I know that marriage was and still is and the family that comes out of it, God's chosen plan for faith and faith formation to be passed down through history. And so I think often we come to this place of marriage and and all of this, and we don't quite understand the gravity of what we're being asked, because we don't quite understand the gravity of what marriage is supposed to be. And I believe that just as we are a creation, marriage also is. And if, like we've asked you to do this over and over, if we have to grapple with the fact that as a creation, our creator best knows how we should live, then we really need to grapple with the fact that as a creation, the creator best knows how a marriage thrives. And so we're not going to rebuke or rebuff anything that this says as much as I would love to as a female. I would love to just take the reins and be in the captain's chair and steer my way through my own life. But you know what? Whether I'm submitting to my husband or to God, I actually don't get to sit there. I'm not in control, period, and men, neither are you. So wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So God, we come to this section, Lord, why? It is so hard. It's so hard because you designed us as women with a brain You designed us with willpower. You designed us to be strong and courageous. And so, Lord, as we come to this place where we have to just really wrestle with what your word says, and are we going to obey or not? Would you help us just to have hearts that are open to your voice this morning? Would you call us to the more, to the deeper that's found here? 
because we recognize that we don't really know the depth of your heart for marriage and that we are just part of that. And so this morning, would you just open our eyes to see the greater and the deeper and the part that we play in the bigger story that's far beyond and stretching outside of our home. And as always, Lord, would you allow my words just to fade away, especially today. And would you speak loud and clear in your precious name. Amen. Well, this is verse one of four about the family. And over the years, there have been many, many tweaks and adjustments to the family. And so where do we begin? Right? The family in the first century church versus the family, say, in 2019, they're two completely different looking entities. And if we're going to submit ourselves to truth and what God says, and we are, maybe a better place to begin than trying to fit our 2019 family into that Hebrew Greek model that we just aren't going to be is to not just right off the bat say, hey, this is what we're going to accept, but maybe we need to actually start with what are we going to reject? What are we going to say? That's falsehood. Because this idea of submission is a hot-button topic. And this word submit, if we can be just really frank and honest here, has been used to justify a lot of sin against women. The word submit has been misused to give an allowance for women to be silenced. It has been misused to give an allowance for women to be abused. It has been misused to give an allowance for women to be subjected to tyranny. And not only is that not God's design for a marriage or a family, that is not God's heart for women. God never intended for any of us to be abused or misused for the gratification of another sinful and broken human. That is not in any way what we're called to when we're asked to submit to our husband. The Greek word here for submit is hupotasso, I'm butchering everything Greek, so don't go home and like decide that you can pronounce it like me. Or if you do, just do it with gusto, and no one will know. Kupatasso, and it is a voluntary yielding to a recognized authority. The submission that we as women are called to is a choice and not a demand. This same word is used in multiple contexts throughout the Bible. It's used when we're called to submit to the government in power as law-abiding citizens. We don't have to. I mean, we can reject the law. We can reject the governance of our country. I mean, there'll be repercussions, but we can. It's used in the same context as a soldier would submit to one who outranks him. Like they can, they can say, yeah, I'm not doing that. They have free will to do it. 
And the third place that it's used, it's used when we are asked as humanity to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We can. We can reject his lordship. We can reject his captain chair role in our life. We can. We have the freedom to do that. And so submission is not subjugation. Women, you are not, I am not a second-class citizen in the eyes of God. Your voice, your identity, your purpose, your needs, your wants, they all matter. And they are all allowed. They are all welcomed because submission is not subjugation, and so we reject that. We say, you know what, that's a falsehood. That is a misunderstanding of this from a society when women were property. That's not God's heart for us. I love what the Faith Life Study Bible said. He said, Paul is not saying that a wife ought to respond to her husband with mindless obedience. Being subject to one's spouse should be voluntary and conscious. Submission in marriage is not demeaning. It is informed by God's relationship to the church. And I want you to think of how God treats you. Submitting to God is always for our best, even when it hurts. Submitting to God doesn't mean that we become less than. It means that we find the fullness of who we were created to be in him. Submission to God means that we come to that place where our brokenness is traded for his wholeness. Our sin is traded for his life. It's always for our best. And so we come to this place of submission, and we have to do two submissions, ladies. Men, you, you have to do one. We all submit first and foremost to the lordship of Jesus Christ, period. Period doesn't matter what your husband says, ladies, if he's going against what God says, what the word of God says, he's wrong. You don't have to listen. You don't have to go along with it. Because first and foremost, we're called to be sons and daughters of the Most High and to walk out this looking more and more like Jesus, this path of righteousness and obedience to him. Then... Ladies, we submit to our husbands. And as we're still in this, like, what can we throw out stage? I just want to just bring maybe some context to where the commands in Ephesians and then again here in Colossians are placed. In Ephesians, this, this command to submit to our husbands is following this command to submit mutually one to another. Here in Colossians, it's following two very interesting verses. It's following this call to peace, again, not the absence of conflict, the peace that leads to right relationship with God, and this reminder that whatever we do, do it as worship to God. I think that that's really, really interesting. And when we're thinking of what we can accept and what can we reject, because submission is 
hard. I would much rather be in the driver's seat. But you know what? When I honor my husband, if I do it in a heart that is seeking to worship God, like this verse right before says, every time I do that, I worship God. When I bite my tongue, when the Holy Spirit says, Lisa, not now, I worship God. On the flip side, when I come with my convictions and use all of my intellect and everything that I am to speak truth into decision-making, I also worship God. Because submission is not subjugation and it's not silence. Submission is about me and Jesus more than it is about me and Lucas. And submission sometimes is going to be the harmonious piece where I walk into the bathroom and in exasperation pick up the socks off the bathroom floor again. And again, this is not a real marriage issue because that would just be too hard to talk about. So, um, not for real. But maybe submission looks like as I do it, Instead of grumbling and just wanting to go out and let my anger be known, I stop and I ask God to do something deep and transforming in me. And you know what? Submission can look like that, like that harmonious peace. But you know what? Submission can also look like the peace that leads to right relationship with Jesus when we come alongside our spouse. Because here's the truth about marriage. We see all of the bad right? Who knows your weaknesses better than your spouse? No one. Who knows your hot button places better than your spouse? No one. Who knows the sins that you grapple with better than your spouse? No one. So can peace also be loving our spouse enough to call it out and coming alongside them and walking them to the cross saying I love you too much to remain silent guess what that's submission too submission isn't subjugation and submission isn't silence Submission isn't even about elevating the man of the house above ourselves. Submission isn't a command based on arrogance or prioritizing one gender above the other. Ultimately, submission is between me and God because submission comes down to my heart. And ladies, it comes down to yours too. Because it's really hard to fight that pride. It's really hard to fight that fear. It's really hard to fight that perfectionism. You insert your, it's really hard to fight. It's not actually your husband. It's a brokenness within us. And so we submit ultimately to Jesus. And we allow him to do something deep in us, and I believe that every time we submit to him and ask him to change us, he does. And as he does, we reflect the true heart of marriage. 
to the world around us. And I know right now some of you are feeling what I felt uh, two weeks ago when I studied for this or started studying for this, thinking I had three weeks to grapple with it and found I only had two. And that is, God, this is very unfair. I have many teary conversations with Lucas saying, not going to lie, I just wish that I were the male. It would be so much better, so much easier if I were in your spot. Right, ladies? Like, this is not a fun one. I'm literally shaking at the moment because this is not a sermon I ever want to preach again. But I know this to be a fact that God doesn't make mistakes. And he doesn't do anything accidentally. And so maybe the next question that we really need to grapple with is, why woman? For a long time, we have been fighting a battle for equality especially here in North America, in Canada and the United States. And I am all for it. I think women should be allowed to vote. I believe in the equality of opportunity and I believe in the equality of pay and all of that. But there's a danger in our fight for equality too. And the danger is that in the fight for equality, we need to be careful that we're not fighting for sameness. Because equality and sameness are not the same. And I truly believe that if you look through scripture, there is no inequality between man and woman in the heart of God. That we are all equal, but we are not all the same. So why woman? Well, if you have your Bibles, flip right to the very beginning, to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verses 19 to 25. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Time out. God's heart for man was never that he would do it alone. And everything in creation, even man's best friend, was unsuitable for the role as helper to Adam. Like, all of those guys are like, I don't need to get married. It's two young men. 
just too much work, women are complicated, I'll just get a dog. It wasn't, it wasn't suitable. Not enough. Time in. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The plan for Adam was to have a helper in this purpose of caring for and ruling over the earth. And if you're wondering where that is, that's just Genesis 1.26. God's plan wasn't for Adam just to have a helper like sometimes we think, like the word helper. Like, well, I'll use like children's church. Like we have a leader who like does everything, and then we have a helper who's really just there that we follow abuse prevention policy guidelines on staffing ratios, right? Like, it was great for Adam to do it, but we're going to make him a helper, and she can just look pretty and maybe pick up whatever Adam drops. Like, sometimes this is how we think about this word helper. But the word helper is azer, and it, it truly means helper, but I want to read for you a few places where this word is also used. In Exodus 18.4, it said, And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper, Azer. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Deuteronomy 33.29, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, Azer. And your glorious sword, your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. Psalm 146.5, blessed are those whose help, Azer, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Psalm 121, 1-2, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help, Azer, come from? My help, Azer, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe we've been thinking of helper too small. Maybe the role of helper woman is far stronger and more powerful than you ever gave yourself credit for being. And perhaps in that moment when God spoke our purpose and destiny as Azer, he wasn't just saying what we would be, but he was also declaring our image-bearing qualities of him. That he would use to articulate our purpose, a word he would later describe himself with. Because we are each image bearers of God. We carry characteristics of God himself, just like our children inherit our DNA. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's no less than here. 
In Galatians 3:28, it says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you alone. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to fight against. We've been doing this battle of the sexes for so long. There's nothing to fight against because we are equally loved and redeemed. And we have to stop trying to push up our own gender by pulling down the other because there's equality but not sameness. The cross is the great equalizer to all of life. And ladies, when we get tempted to, to elevate ourselves over men, and that's just unfortunately what's happening a lot in society right now, we need to put things into perspective. When God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, it wasn't because it was bad. The good there means it just wasn't beautiful. It wasn't fullness. Like, it was fine, but it wasn't good. Adam could have done it. It wasn't good. It wasn't fullness. It wasn't the perfection of design yet. But the flip side of that is when we get tempted to think of ourselves as less than, when we get tempted to, to drop our value, we need to put things again into right perspective. Because the God who created you loves you to the fullness that love can be. And he designed and created us not so that we could be lorded over, but so that we could reflect God as his image bearers to a world that needs to see him. And if we fight to be more than we are, all that we do is forfeit and trade who we are for a design that's never going to fit well. Because we are woman. In all of the complexities and differences of what that word means, we are woman. There's no greater than or less than man. We're equal. We're just not the same. And that's the most beautiful part that two very different people in all of the unique and complex ways that man was created and woman was created can come together in a marriage. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church, modeling the love that God has for us, and wives submitting to their husbands as we all submit to Christ, modeling through our lives our response to God. We are the most beautiful illustration of God's relationship with humanity that there ever will be. If we each choose to surrender to the role we've been asked to play. David Ekman stated, the conclusion is that the woman and the man are intended to be an interdependent team. Why woman? Because the world needs us both. Your marriage needs you both. We've said over and over that this life isn't about us, even though it is, like you live it. But your life is bigger than you. And in the same way, your marriage isn't about you, even though it is. 
Your marriage is part of a bigger story and a bigger narrative that's present here. The marriage had a very purposeful design to reflect the relationship between the groom, God, and his bride, all of humanity, by showing the world what it looks like for a healthy groom and a healthy bride to be in relationship together. And if God is creator, then again, it stands to reason that he knows best how his creation marriage will flourish. In Ephesians 5, 21 to 24, Ephesians 5, 21 to 24, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is the state of the family. And it goes on to talk about the husband's role and loving their wives. And we're going to talk about that next week. So, guys, you'll be in the hot seat. It'll be much better, much more comfortable for us ladies. Let me tell you. But Jesus is the head of us all. We submit to him. And in the style of Jesus, man is the head of the family. So he loves and leads and protects in the style of Jesus. And rounding out that three-stranded cord is the woman who chooses to submit to both. And now I go, but why? Like, I still don't want to. And so I want to steal a verse from a different context for a moment to add some weight to this last thought, and that's James 3.1. And James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I think one thing that we really love to shy away from in the church is the fact that we all, all of us, even if you accepted Jesus, are going to stand before him one day. And for those who have accepted his work on the cross, we are going to have to give an account for how we lived our life. We have to explain ourselves. Now, men... You will be held responsible for the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of your family and the choices that your family makes. You will have to stand before God one day and explain yourself. And we all let that sink in. Ladies, if that responsibility was on my shoulders, I would want an Azer too. I would want somebody that could be wise counsel 
that when I was just not sure of what to do and I knew that at the end of my life I'm going to answer to God for the decision I make today that I can bounce it off of. If that responsibility was on my shoulders, I would want somebody who could come alongside me and shoulder it too. I would want somebody who could be a safe place for me to just unload all of it. I would want an Azer too. But that responsibility isn't mine to bear, and ladies, it's not yours to bear. And so if that is, and I don't want it, then I'm okay to actually come underneath it. But you know what the responsibility is for me then? The responsibility for me is to walk close to my Jesus so that when my husband comes to me for wise counsel, I have been with Jesus and I have perspective and I have wisdom that I can offer means that I stay close to Jesus so that when my husband has had a lousy day and he just needs a safe place to be, I am a person of grace and peace and I'm not unloading all of my unforgiveness or fear or worry or whatever it might be in that moment. I am what my husband needs as an azer. It means that I walk close to Jesus so that I can do what he's asked me to do, which is to shoulder each other's burdens and rejoice when someone else rejoices. The responsibility for me is to walk out the character of Christ so that I can be the wife that my husband needs me to be. And husbands, your responsibility is the exact same. To walk close to Jesus so that he can work out his likeness in us. For those that are married, how's your marriage doing? How's it really doing? I wrestled really, really hard with this. I mean, we've known it's been coming for a long time, but life is busy. I wrestled not because I don't believe it, because I believe it to the very core of my being. I wrestled with it because it's hard. I don't like it. And I wrestled with it because, you know what, your marriage is going to look different than my marriage. Steal from a friend of ours, the marriage counselor and a pastor, Don Houston, he said, your marriage is a dance. To a song that only your marriage is playing. And as you know, in a dance, only one person can lead or it's chaos. And so when each just executes the steps of the dance, it's a beautiful and graceful thing to watch. And we have been called to see our marriage as part of the bigger picture. That our marriage isn't just about me and my husband. It's not just about you and your wife or you and your husband. 
It's about reflecting who God wants to be to all of humanity, to the world around us. That's a sacred responsibility. How's your marriage doing? This is going to be similar and different from every other marriage in the entire world. But here's what I know. As we each stay close to our Jesus, as we each walk out the character of Christ, and wives, when we, yes, submit, when we become Azer, we live up to our design. And we can do that with strength and dignity and purpose. We're not fighting against anything. We're just embracing who we are always created to be. God, thank you that you created us. Lord, I love the, the imagery of knitting us together. That we aren't accidental. There was intention and design in how you created each individual person. We are all unique by your design. And so, God, it stands to reason then that if you take two unique and individual people and you put them together, that there's not only going to be tension, but that there's going to be a unique and individual marriage. And so I thank you for your truths that transcend individual situations and are just truth. And God, I know that even submitting to you is hard. And so often we have to fight ourselves out of the driver's seat to allow you to get in. But as we submit to you, men and women, God, all of life works better because that's how you designed it to be. So I pray for every marriage that's represented here, God. I pray that you would help us as women to have the grace to come under, to choose submission. And not in the ways that society has lied to us that it should be, but as Azar, as the help not a mild help, but as that strong, designed one that can bring peace, sometimes harmony, and sometimes walking together to the cross. Would you remind us, Lord, that our marriages are about more than just the next 30 to 80 years, depending on how long you've been married. Our marriage is about more than that. Our marriages are about reflecting your relationship with humanity, the world around us. Thank you that you call us to more. In your precious name, amen.